Certainly it's good to see everyone out this morning. I know we appear to be a little short in number, although uh, unfortunately it's due to just a lot of sick and illness. <clears throat> um, haven't heard about anybody traveling, but uh, hopefully everyone else is doing okay and uh, that you're having a good day today. Um, if you haven't already, I'd invite you to take your outlines out and then uh, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. So this is the second lesson in our spiritual wellness series. We have to take care of ourselves. Um, I mean, for the most part, I would venture to say that almost everybody here gets a regular checkup with their doctors, whether it's once a year, multiple times a year. I, mean, I, I don't know everybody's uh, practice, but I know for the most part, I know for me, <laughs> I go several times a year. And we do all kinds of things. He does a weight check, and you know we're at least not doing weight checks, guys. We're not we're not doing anything, you know, so uh, personal as far as you know getting into how much we weigh, how tall we are, exactly how sick we are physically. But what about spiritually? How are we doing spiritually? And so that's what we ultimately need to be considering this morning. Uh, last week we talked about uh, how good are we at hearing or at listening. And so today we're going to be talking about uh, the idea of how well do we read. Several instances, as you can see there at the, the top of your outline under how well do you read, several occasions we have Jesus saying, have you not read? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. <clears throat> we're going to start out in Matthew chapter 12. Now, we're not going to go through every single example right there. Some of those are just kind of homework for you. You can go home and look at them and, and, see, and see why it's important. But let's start here in Matthew 12, and let's look at this example here. So at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began, began to pick the heads of grain... And eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. So, again, just picture yourself you're walking through a field, you're hungry, you've been working, you've been busy all day, you haven't, you've been so busy you haven't been able to stop to eat. And so that's why these grains of field, these fields of grain are there. And it was practical for people to, as they're walking through, to just pluck a grain and eat as they're going on their way. So just imagine someone approaches you and says, Ah, you can't do that. You just broke the law. You broke the Sabbath. Wow. But he said to them, talking about Jesus, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companion? How he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat nor for those with him, but for the priests 
alone. That consecrated bread wasn't for your average typical Jew. It was for only the priest and priests only. It wasn't for the king. It wasn't for anybody. Okay? Or have you not read? So this is twice what he's saying. Have you not read? In the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent. Not only was that bread only for the priest, but now let's, let's make sure you really understand what you're trying to say, what you are trying to accomplish with your understanding of the law. Okay? That the priest, that they break the Sabbath every Sabbath? Do you not know that? Do you not understand it? And yet they are innocent. But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you have known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. Now, the context of, of David and them breaking or taking the bread, excuse me, and breaking the law, quote-unquote, as they would ascribe to believing, that occurs in 1 Samuel chapter 21, and ultimately it shows that he was justified in doing it, and Jesus makes that very point. Now, if David and them and his companions, if they would have ate the bread just out of profanity, if they would have done it just out of bravado, you know, out of them just look at who we are and just elevating themselves, yeah, th there would be an argument there. But to do so in urgent need, because they were running for their lives, you have to understand, not all circumstances are the same. And sometimes we do that even in our own lives. We tend to judge act, actions and motives and things that have transpired, things that have taken place. And, and we just, we just kind of paint with a broad brush and we just look at things as black and white all of the time. And we've seen, surely we've seen throughout our study in Job on Wednesday evenings that that's not how life is. That's not how life works not all circumstances are the same. So with David and them running for their lives, and they are hungry, for them to have an urgent need, that was not a, a case to, to blame David as breaking the law. And then the second principle here, that, that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and that they are innocent. What Jesus is saying is, is that the priests break the Sabbath all of the time. Every Sabbath, they're breaking the law. Perhaps the reality is, is that the Pharisees didn't understand the principles of the Sabbath and the observance, as the, the observance of the Sabbath as much as they had hoped. They tended to believe that they knew a lot more than what they really did. And sometimes we do that in our own lives. We tend to believe that we know more about a subject than we really let on. 
Oh, we put off a great game. We show a great scale, a great model, a great game plan. And we have things just lined up in ABC order, bullet points in all, PowerPoint sermons and everything. We, just have, we seem to have our ducks all in a row. But have we not read? That's the question. Do we not really understand what's actually transpiring and going on? Again, the Pharisees, they didn't necessarily understand everything as they claimed to understand. They would just paint with a broad brush and say, well, this is the way it is. This is the way it always will be. And no one's going to change our mind. We have to be careful with this kind of mindset and attitude. And especially overall disposition in life. If you actually think that you could never be taught that nobody could ever teach you anything new. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how poor you are. I don't care how well you dress. I don't care about your status in life. I don't care. God's not a respecter of persons. But if we actually believe that we can go through life and nobody can show us anything new, then why are we here? What is it about the gospel that could show you anything new if your mind cannot be changed? But think about the temple rituals that that went on. It involved work. They would have to kindle up fire... They would have to slaughter the animals. They'd have to prepare them. They'd have to lift the animals up onto the altar. They'd have to sprinkle blood everywhere. And a whole host of other things. Their work on the Sabbath, the priest's work on the Sabbath, actually doubled. So have you not read? When Jesus says, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, that's a quotation from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. And their lack of understanding of this principle. And again, there's there's a whole slew of others. When Jesus has to answer them regarding divorce in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. Have you not read? He says that every finger pointing, We can finger point all day long, but our finger pointing doesn't prove a thing. It's not going to help us get to heaven. But we need to understand that there's different kinds of readers. And I think for the most part, we all understand that and would agree to that. You can turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. And in just a moment, we'll be reading in Acts chapter 8. But there's different kinds of readers. There's the kind of reader who's just, they've never picked up the book and read. And then if you even give it to them, they still won't do it. There are folks who just will not read. And so what do we do for them? Are they just lost causes? Somehow we have to kindle that fire. We have to catch their interest because it does no good to constantly badger them and say, hey, have you read? Have you read? Did you look at? If you know that they're not the kind of person to pick up a book and to read it, what makes you think that you handing them over a Bible 
is going to cause them to all of a sudden just desire and mysteriously to love to want to read. That's when we have to kind of get, we have to get fancy. We have to show them. We have to kind of, uh, maybe this isn't the best way to put it, but we need to become the living Word for them. We need to show them the way. Be that example. Paul did it. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Can't we do that for folks? And then if they begin to ask the question of, well, why do you live the way that you live? Why do you make the decisions that you make? Why do you do the things that you do? The person that you are, why did you become that person? And sure, then you could, you could ask, have you not read? And you could show it to them and say, you know what? I used to be like you at one point in my life. I never cared to read a book. I never cared to open up something to, to learn of it because it was too much like work. It's hard sometimes. And there's people who they have legitimately, they have legitimate learning disabilities. Some people are dyslexic. And so when they open up a book, as soon as they open up that book, they get wide-eyed. They're just like, wow, I can't understand this. Think about it. They need people to help them. And where are we in that, in that game? So you've got people that never read. You've got people that just read sparingly. Just every now and then. Just when the time is right. When the mood is right and the lights are just dim enough. It's not too bright in the room. It's not too dark in the room. You're just setting the mood. The mood's right. And so, oh, okay, it feels, feels like a good time to open up the book and to read. And then within 15 minutes, you're passed out. Because some people, that's what they actually do. They read to go to sleep. Reading will help put them to sleep. It calms their, their nerves and everything. But if you only do it sparingly, just once every once in a while, is that the kind of individual that we see as being faithful to God? What kind of people are described as being faithful to God, as being diligent to show thyself approved? Does that sound like sparingly would fall into that category? So we need to think about that. We've got those who read selectively. So they read only what they want to read. Unfortunately, I'm even seeing it in pulpits where there's preachers who they read more C.S. Lewis and, and Charles Spurgeon and, and other people more so than they do the Word of God. And we wonder why churches and congregations are going leftward and just outward. They're getting more commentary than they are the Word of God. And then you've got those who read defensively. And you know what? I think those last two categories, those who read selectively and defensively, I think for the most part, if we're honest with ourselves, many of us are guilty of that. We are guilty of reading selectively only passages that we are comfortable with or passages that we, we have to proof text. We have to show people where they're wrong. So now the, the heat of the fire is underneath our feet. 
And we have to learn that we don't read selectively. We don't read defensively. We don't read just to prove other people wrong or their positions wrong. Because I promise you, proof texting will cause a lot more heartache than you realize. Because you're ignoring the whole context. And when you ignore the whole context, how can you understand it to begin with? But there's different kinds of readers. Let's look here in Acts chapter 8. And let's drop down to verse 25. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And he, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So look at that. This Ethiopian eunuch, he's come to Jerusalem to worship. We, we see the kind of man that he is. We're given some background information and history on him that this is what he's desiring to do. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go and join this chariot. Philip ran up to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? Do you understand? So you remember when, I, when we were just briefly talking about how maybe someone who, uh, someone who has a learning disability whether it's dyslexia or, or some other reading disability where they struggle with words. I'm not saying that this is ultimately the problem here, but it is a legitimate concern that we have for people. Do you really understand? And if you don't, let me help you. Do you understand what you're reading? He said, well, how could I? Unless someone guides me. Unless someone helps me. And so he invited Philip to come up and to, to sit with him. And so now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to a slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? So he's not understanding. He's not stupid. We know that. I mean, he went to Jerusalem to worship. It's not that he's incapable of understanding. He needs help. We need to be willing to help those who are willing to help themselves. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing this attitude and this mindset of, I want help. I'm seeking help. Please help me. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? 
all because he was reading, all because he requested and asked for help after he was questioned, do you understand what you were reading? The eunuch was not a man who never read. I submit to you, he was not a man who, read, who would read sparingly. I do not believe he was a man who read selectively or defensively. I believe he was the kind of man who examined the scriptures daily. You see that next context there in Acts chapter 17? Examining the scriptures daily to see whether or not those things were so. I believe he had a good and honest heart. And he desired to hear the grace of God, to hear the truth. And when Philip preached to him Jesus, he listened. He took it in. He wasn't defensive about it. He didn't say, hey, here's water. What, you know, do I really need it? Do I really need to get in the water? Do I have to? Is, is water baptism really for salvation? Is it really to wash away sins? No, because when Philip was preaching Jesus to him, he preached the gospel. And he told him, he had to have told him, be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. Because he asked the question, see, here's water. What prevents me or what hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. So the eunuch, I'm convinced that he was a good and honest reader of God's Word. He utilized, obviously, his profession, his status, to be able to avail to him the scribes, the, the scrolls, excuse me, the scrolls of God's Word, because those things weren't cheap, by the way, in their day and age. And they weren't as prevalent. It's not like they could go to Walden Books or to to whatever bookstore you wanted to go to, even go to Walmart. I can find Bibles at Walmart. It wasn't available to everybody in their day and age, but he made it available to himself, and he would read. He would worship God, and he would read. And when the opportunity came for him to hear the gospel, he took that chance. He took that opportunity. And it changed his life for forever. Look there at the next context, Acts chapter 17, verse 10 through 12. Look at this. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. 
And therefore many of them believed along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. That practice of examining the scriptures daily, thereby adding that addition of Paul and Silas coming and teaching and encouraging these people to believe and obey the gospel. Because of this, they all believed. The same response as the Ethiopian eunuch. They desire a relationship with God. They desire to be right with God and to be justified. And so they read. Because they read, they have that ability to have that listening ear where they will actively listen for the truth. And when they hear it, they will immediately respond. They're not going to put it off for weeks and months and years. They'll recognize their condition. And in recognizing their condition, they will see that this is the only way that they can change their lives. Because they read. What are some benefits of good reading skills or good reading habits? Well, for the Christian, you see there, and look there at Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. The man who reads and the man who heeds is blessed. Think about that. Why? Well, we know those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they'll be what? Placed in everlasting destruction. Everlasting fire. Those who do not obey the gospel. I'm not saying it's impossible to obey the gospel if you don't read. Obviously, what if someone doesn't know how to read? What if they can't write? Can they still obey the gospel? Absolutely. They can hear. So that's where we come in. Therefore, we read, we preach, we teach, we encourage, even sometimes maybe have to rebuke. We show people the way. We show people the way to live, the way to heaven. Look at Psalm 1, Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. How blessed is the man who... Now obviously he starts out here with this instruction and he says, does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But look at it from this perspective. How blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. I'm not saying that we just remove the rest of that first verse, but I'm saying read it from that perspective. How blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. 
This is all because he delights in the law of the Lord. And because he delights in the law of the Lord, and because he meditates upon God's law day and night, he does not stand or walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not stand in the path of sinners. He does not sit in the seat of scoffers. These are conditions that are laid out. These things will not happen. First Peter chapter 1. Let's turn upon God's Word. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 10 through 16. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things which now have been announced to you. Angels long to look. Therefore prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you by, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, how do we know that? If it's written, how do we come to know this? If we read it. If we study it. If we rightly divide the word of truth. That's how we come to know it. So we grow in hope. Because when we read God's word, we sustain hope in our lives, hoping for the life to come. So let's think about some ways that we can read better. You can turn your Bibles over to James chapter 1, and we'll be there in just a moment. But let's look at 1 Timothy 4, 13. Look at what Paul told Timothy. He said, until I come, give attention to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Give attention to public reading of Scripture. Now, am I saying that this does away with the need for private? No. But there's a purpose. There's a meaning. It's for encouraging one another. It's for edifying. It's for correction. But think about 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for correction. See? So there's a meaning. Give attention to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teach. To help us in our faith. And with James, he tells us not to be doers, I mean, hearers of the word only, but to be doers. We see that in James 1, 
Starting at verse 21, he says, Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. Receive it. How are you to receive it? Well, you can receive it through hearing. You can receive it through reading. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers only who delude yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. That goes back to the benefit of being a good hearer. That man is blessed in what he does. Look at Ezra right here. Ezra 7 verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. So right here, there's a threefold intention. Ezra came to seek, he came to do, and he came to teach. That sounds awfully a lot like what James said, doesn't it? We need to be willing to seek God's will. We need to be willing to do it. We need to be willing to teach it. So first off, to seek God's law to seek His Word, to seek His truth. What this means is we allow the full impact of God's Word, the grace of God. We allow it to fully impact us by those who we diligently seek after His Word and the fellowship with God. And so because of that, secondly, we do it. That, that's just a natural response. That's a natural reaction. Have you, has anyone ever mixed baking soda and vinegar? You ever done that before? It's got that. It, every time, it will have that same natural reaction. I've seen people take baking soda and vinegar. They'll pour the baking soda down the drain, and then they'll pour vinegar down it. And because it gives that nice little, it's not like a ma massive explosion, but it'll kind of... And it'll help clear out your pipes if there's just a small little clog down in there. I wouldn't do it with any major clogs, but I've seen people do that. It's a natural reaction because the, the chemical compound between baking soda and vinegar. This is the same thing for the child of God. The intention is to seek, to do, and to teach. So if we seek God's Word and we're honestly doing so, we will therefore respond by doing God's will. We will accept it. We will practice it. And because we accept it and we practice it, we will therefore allow the full impact of God's Word to cause us to teach it, to live it. And so to me, this helps define a good character of a minister of God. A minister of God is going to constantly seek God's Word. He's going to constantly do it. And he's going to consistently teach it at all times. 
He's not going to be missing out on any one of those three. Because as he prepares his lessons and his messages, he's fixing it. He's fixating on it. He's looking at the purposes of his lesson. He's looking at the determination of his lessons. Ultimately, all surrounding his heart. Where does he stand with God? So let's do our final two passages here. Let's look at Psalm 119. And then John 6.68. And then the lesson will be yours. Psalm 119, 97 through 105. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth, From your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. And your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So we see the conclusions that we can draw from the man or from the woman, from the individual who reads and studies God's will. What do they do? They allow it to guide them. They allow that light to shine before them. Therefore, they walk. Therefore, they do. They accomplish the will of God in their life. They respond in belief, faith, trust, and obedience. Look at John 6, 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom, we, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life eternal, of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One to God. I said those were the final two passages, but the last one's a paraphrase. Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. How do we come to know God? How do we come to have eternal life in our lives if we do not read? How can we experience the blessings of eternal life if we don't learn of it? I don't know about you, but I've never had some mysterious dream or some mysterious voice talking to me saying, Lee, go do this. Lee, go do that. Never. Not one time. But what I constantly see is that when we read God's Word, we learn of it, and we act on our faith. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. We have the same kind of faith of Abraham, and that same kind of faith will reckon unto you for righteousness. You will be made righteous. You will be justified In the name of Jesus, and you will have your sins washed away.
So if you're here this morning and you're subject to our public invitation, if you need to be uh, baptized in water for the remission of your sins, then the water's ready. If you need the prayers of the congregation or to talk to someone, we're here to help you any way we can while together we stand and while we sing the invitation song.